The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. R. Scott Clark. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be together this morning to be able to meditate on your word, grateful for time and opportunity uh, to, uh, in a sense, put our studies to use in a a new way, but also to set them aside and and simply to be renewed in appreciation of your word and of your grace and of your mercy, of your faithfulness and all the very many blessings that we have in Christ. So hear our prayer, forgive our sins, even now renew us by your Holy Spirit, putting to death in us the old man, making alive in us the new. Help us to hear and understand your word and to be edified by it, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to uh, devote, and uh, um, I'm encouraged by um, Professor Baugh's approach to devotions this morning. He says, you know, these are not sermons, these are just devotions. And this is certainly not a sermon, it's just a devotion. Just going to meditate on some, not entirely random, but quasi-random observations on Romans 5, uh, 1 through 11, and then trying to focus on 5, 8 as we have this series that we're doing, the great reversals. All right. So Romans 5, Reading from the ESV, uh, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, uh, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous uh, person, though perhaps for a good person one would uh, dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now are we rec- uh, uh, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom uh, we have now received reconciliation. Uh, one thing that I um, saw in working through this uh, pericope that I had not seen before is that it's, uh, it's deliberately structured, and those of you who've had some of the more advanced uh, biblical studies courses may know what a, what a chiasm is. It's a half of a, of a key, right? So think half of an X. And uh, it, it begins with a theme, moves to the center, right? And then uh, returns to that theme. There are different kinds of chiasms. Some, some follow a strict parallelism, but this one has a, um, a parallelism that, that uh, marks the beginning and end of the pericope. So this is a, actually a natural 
pericope, not an artificial one, begins with boasting and justification. It concludes with boasting and justification. And so that, that's one of your clues. That's how you know that you're not just seeing things and making things up, that it's actually there in the text. When I was in school, we did a lot of chiasm hunting, and we probably did find them where they weren't. I think at one time we found that all of First and Second Kings was a giant chiasm or something. It, it may be. I couldn't reproduce that work if, if you held a gun to my head. So that was, that was the 80s, so maybe a high point of interest in chiasms. But nevertheless, uh, it seems to have borne some fruit here. So uh, the, the Apostle Paul has a, obviously a glorious message here, right? The, the book of Romans is in three parts, guilt, grace, and gratitude, right? Uh, sort of one, uh, the prologue is law or, or guilt. And in the middle section from 321, uh, uh, right? Following is grace or the gospel, and then the last uh, part of the book is, is on the, the Christian life. That's why the Heidelberg Catechism is in three parts. It's simply following the book of Romans, guilt, grace, and gratitude. This is, not, again, not an artifice. This is grounded in the Word of God. This is the basic structure of the Christian life and, and of the Christian faith. Right? So if you haven't heard that before, you're welcome. That's, a, that's, a, that's huge if you grasp that distinction Right, in baked into that is the distinction between law and gospel, bad news for sinners and good news for sinners. So here we are in Paul's exposition of the good news for sinners, and, and the good news here is having therefore been justified, right, uh, out of faith, not out of doing, not out of obeying, not out of performing, but the antithesis of doing, obeying and performing. The ground, of course, of our uh, justification, that declaration by God that sinners are now uh, considered righteous in his sight, and, and rightly so, is the perfect obedience, righteousness, and the merit, yes, I said the M word, merit, of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said somewhere, whatever merit there is in the world, condign or congruent, if you don't know what that means, I'll explain it to you in medieval reformation, except for you MA Bib students who don't need to know any of that. So, <laughs> Apparently you can just read the Bible without a thousand years of church history. You can, <laughs> you'll have to figure that out on your own. Or I can arrange maybe private tuition. What is the seminary charge? I can, I'll charge half. <laughs> But all the merit that Jesus accomplished is credited to us. That's the ground of our righteousness. And the instrument of our righteousness before God is, is faith, resting, receiving, trusting in Jesus Christ. And the good news is that Christ accomplished it for us and gives it to us freely. And therefore, Paul says in verse 1, we have, not we're going to have, Contra those who have a two-stage doctrine of justification. See, we could go a very long time past, past 10.20 this morning. There's so much here. Contra those who say that there are two stages of justification. No, you people who are watching on the internet, you listen to me now. There's only one stage of justification. There's only one stage of salvation. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you're righteous now, having therefore been justified, it doesn't say having therefore justification, having been inaugurated provisionally, 
But then there's a final justification through good works. He doesn't say that at all. In fact, the good news is Scripture never says that anywhere. It's a complete fabrication, and I would even say, Mr. President, plug your ears. Don't want you to be, or anybody else to be offended here. He has to defend me. It's a lie from the pit. You can unplug now. Justification is free to sinners, helpless sinners. And that's what we are here. We're considered helpless sinners by nature after the fall, as a consequence of the fall. Helpless and dead, lost, and God freely comes in Jesus Christ and accomplishes our righteousness for us and freely gives it to us and gives us new life and then true faith and through faith we receive Christ in his righteousness and through faith we're united mystically by the Holy Spirit to Christ. All these great blessings, right? Since, so the ESV is right. Since therefore we have been justified, not that we shall be eventually, finally justified or that the initial, that there's some initial justification that's provisional, you're out on bail, but you're not really finally justified because you haven't done enough good works yet. We have peace, not that we will have peace. Through him also, more than that, right, we've obtained access, right, we have entrance, right? We have access, how? By faith. By faith, through which also, that's the instrument of our access into this grace, this favor, this free favor of God in which we stand. How do we stand? We stand by grace. God's favor, not medicine, not stuff, not magic, favor. It's just favor, God's approval. Christ earned God's approval and God gives it to his elect freely and they receive it through faith alone. And therefore we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice or boast is better. The, ver the, the word there means, it's traditionally translated boast. So there I, I dissent. We boast, so we, we, so we boast in God's grace, not in anything we've done. This is in contradistinction to the Judaizers. You heard uh, Pastor Tedrick saying, right, uh, very plainly, Tuesday, right, there's there, the worst prayer in the world. I thank thee, Lord, that I am not like this schmuck. That's a terrible prayer. It is the world's worst prayer. If you haven't seen that or heard that message, you should go back and listen to that. He's exactly right. We don't, right, the, the self-righteous boasts in what he's accomplished. The Christian boasts in what Jesus has accomplished. I haven't done anything. Jesus has done it all. In hope of the glory of God. Not, I hope, will be glorified. No, in the certainty of the glory of God. How do I know it's certain? Because Jesus accomplished it, and Jesus is God the Son incarnate. And he was perfectly righteous. And how do we know that he accomplished it? Because he was raised from the dead. If he, if he wasn't perfectly righteous, he wouldn't have been raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead because he is perfectly righteous. That's our justification. He was vindicated. He did it. And 500 people saw him, and the disciples saw it. It's a fact. 
It's an objective fact. It really happened. We have empirical evidence. We have credible records of reasonable people in their right minds who saw him. He ate with them. I was just reading Ignatius yesterday. I was happy to see uh, Ignatius of Antioch making the same arguments I've been making. I probably learned them from him, but, but forgot. Ignatius said, yes, Jesus is true man. He ate fish with the disciples. That, that's our argument against the Docetists. He didn't just seem to be man. He really is man. He really was alive. He really was seen. And he really is alive, and he is at the right hand of the Father. And all of this has consequences for our life. We are justified, and because we are justified, God the Holy Spirit is creating in us virtues through suffering. This little suffering that we're enduring, the masks, the irritation, the social distancing, the illness, which is obviously a much more serious thing, the difficulties we're having in worship and gathering for worship, though... That's, that's bad, and that's difficult, that's challenging, it's discouraging. But it wasn't going to be very many years after Paul wrote this letter that Nero, who succeeded Claudius, Claudius was a relatively benign pagan Caesar, but Nero was probably insane, certainly malevolent, and by the mid-60s was arresting Christians and blaming them for a failed real estate scam. And then, to cover up the whole thing, he, he put tar on them, and he set them on fire. Literally. Worst autobiography uh, title I ever, worst biography title I ever saw was, was the biography written for Huss, On Fire for God. Just a little tasteless. But our people really have, and that got published, just in case you think publishers know what they're doing. <laughs> but our brothers and sisters have been murdered for the faith, and that's still going on, that kind of thing. Ask your brothers and sisters in Nigeria, particularly in the South. There's a, did you know there's a million Reformed Christians in the, in the southern part of Nigeria, in Benway State? Did you know there's a million of them? That's not hyperbole. Who, and many of them are being harassed by Fulani tribesmen. Some of them are murdered. Ask your brothers and sisters in China. Ask your brothers and sisters who are very deeply hidden in Saudi Arabia, who face the death penalty if they're caught, and so on. There are many, many places in this world where it's truly dangerous to be a Christian. We need a little perspective. But, but through all these things, God works these virtues in us, right? This is a consequence of all that Christ has done, and that produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured forth. And by the way, notice that God's love is poured forth in those who are justified, not unto justification. Rome is wrong. In the Tridentine Catechism, it says we're justified because God pours forth his love in our charity, poured forth in our hearts. That's exactly backwards. Charity is poured forth in our hearts. Love is poured forth in our hearts because we've been justified as a consequence of justification. Here's the, here's the center of the passage and probably where we have to quit this morning. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
That's you. That's me. And that's you on your phones and tablets and computers. Christ died for really bad people, murderous people, covetous people, thieving people, lying people, idolatrous people. He died for them because from all eternity he loved them. And he said to his father, I will go. I will go. And he came and suffered his whole life. He had no place to lay his head. Harassed, misrepresented, attacked, stalked by the authorities who, who constantly sought ways and opportunities to murder him and whom he eluded until it was time. Until it was time. But this is all good news. Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely will somebody die, hardly, somebody die for most people, and somebody might die for a really good person. But Jesus didn't die for a good person. He died for horrible people who, given the first opportunity, would have joined the Pharisees and the scribes in putting him to death. Because we did. We cried for Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. We are tired of these Romans. We are tired of this oppression. This guy is a failure. He's a terrible revolutionary, and he really is. He could have called down legions of angels, and he refused. And he let them take him and abuse him and nail him to the cross. And Paul makes a point of that, of pointing to our justification in his blood. Not in the gruesome Victorian way that the hymns do, but to make the, make the, the very clear point that Jesus really died. That's how much he loves you. And that's how that, that ought to shape you. That ought to change your perception of who you are and where you are and what's going on and what God thinks of you when you get discouraged. You just say to yourself, but God, verse eight, but God shows his, manifests his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved. Shall we be saved? Not shall we save ourselves through a, a, an alleged final salvation, through good works, another lie from the pit. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Jesus is the Savior. I know you get discouraged. I know you feel like you can't do it all. Uh, I know you doubt sometimes that God loves you. You shouldn't doubt you shouldn't doubt. You should think about Jesus. And think about the fact that he gave his life for you on the cross. And that he was buried for you and sanctified the grave. And that he was raised for you. And that he poured forth his love into your heart. And his word is saying to you this morning, believer, I love you. Don't doubt. Just rest. 
And when you doubt, repent. You say, Father, I'm sorry I doubted. I know, I know that's wrong. I know my feelings lie to me and that your word is true because your word is objective reality grounded in the truth. It is the truth. Your word is truth. My feelings are a lie. Jesus is truth. The love of God for you, sinner, is true. Believe that. Trust that. Let's pray. Father, grant us the grace to believe these things, to trust these things, and to know uh, with a certainty in our hearts that they really are true and true for us, true for me, not for others also, but for me, or not for others only, but for me also. Help us to learn to say again and again, for me, Christ came for me, Christ died for me, and to accept these things again and again on the basis of your word. Help us, Lord, to... to uh, to believe these things, to rest in these things, and to trust these things, because they are true. Thank you for your love for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your kindness and patience and mercy toward us in Christ Jesus. Help us, poor sinners, even today. For Jesus' sake, amen. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.